0: Hey, I'm taking over the show. I'm Danny DeVito, and it's really great to be here on Bedside Matters because of my good friend, David Kipper, the good Dr. David Kipper, and everybody else involved with the show. So,
1: Dave, you want to introduce me now? I, this is a guy I hardly know this guy. This is my very <laughs> dear friend, Danny DeVito, who's uh, offered to give us a little bit of his time on Bedside Matters, talk about some medical issues, talk about some other issues. Thank you, Danny, so much for coming on board. really,
0: really, really happy. I'm so happy to be here. You've been a big force in my life, a very important force in my life. So I'm happy to be here. Danny, I know that
2: you had an issue that a lot of people, unfortunately, go through with stroke um, with your father-in-law. And most people, I don't think, know that what to do when there's a stroke, how to identify the stroke. But in your instance, it worked out in a way that was pretty... Pretty amazing with you and David, if you don't mind telling us. Yeah,
0: no, I, I, you know, if I, as I recall, well, Phil was. Um, I, I don't know how old my father-in-law was at the time, but uh, we had a uh, an incident, and uh, we immediately got David on the horn, and and we got Phil to a hospital. And we went in. I remember going in, and Phil was just you know stone stroked. I mean however that you know that's a horrible thing it's like a horrible look to see your your father-in-law you love in that spot and um but we got him to the hospital soon enough and Dave you helped me with this
1: yes we did get him to the hospital within a very short period of time yeah. and mm-hmm. he was immediately given the clot buster medicine at this time it was relatively new it was the tpa that he got intravenously and the idea of this was to break up the clot so that he could establish good blood flow to those areas of the brain. But when <laughs> Phil was admitted, and Danny can attest to this, with his whole family sitting around, he was, uh, for lack of a better medical term, he was gorked. He was uh, completely unconscious. Oh, I, I
0: I remember looking at him like saying, "Look, gone" to me. I mean, we were we we're standing there, and when did they administer the whatever you called it
1: about 20 minutes before you and I were standing over yeah. his bed. And,
0: and it, there was a, a moment where we were really uh, just all feeling the same thing that, that Phil was going, who knows? He, it wasn't moving. They just, and, and then suddenly, I don't know, uh, the two of us were standing there <laughs> and, and we were talking and all of a sudden Phil just like, Came alive. I think he said something about a nurse, right?
1: He said something <laughs> about an amazing nurse that yeah. walked by.
0: Yeah, look at that! Was, yeah. <laughs> I love it. He <laughs> I mean, was like, and and then we just did, did, did a double take. It was almost like he was like giving us the business because he came alive like in, uh, in a second and uh, then it was almost like he had never had the stroke. I thought, I mean, he was just, he started talking to us and I think he knew where he was.
3: Did he know what happened? Did he know that he was out of it? I don't
0: don't think so. I don't know. What he, did he say, Dave, do you remember? No, I I remember. I just remember being so stunned by the fact (laughs) that I saw him for quite a while. I
1: felt like it was for an eternity At that moment, you and I were more compromised than he was. Yeah. I was ready
0: to say, man, this is it. And uh, you said they had given them the, what do you call it again? The TPA, the clot buster. Okay, clot buster. And uh, man, that that works. Say that again. I have that on a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds very medical. What does that work
2: for? Does it work for everybody, or does it have to work for a specific kind of stroke, or does it have to be administered within a certain amount of time?
1: It works when there is an actual clot. There are two kinds of strokes. One is a clot, and one is a hemorrhage. If you give it to someone that's hemorrhaging, it just makes the hemorrhaging worse. But if someone has a clot,
0: it busts it up. I get it. But how do you, do you know, can you know, well, now I guess you could know. Then I don't think you could, you know, you just took a shot, right? You just didn't know whether it Mm. was, you know, whether it was a hemorrhage or a clot. Could you tell at that time? I can't remember when this all
1: happened, but
0: it was like you said, it was a new drug.
1: It was a new drug. You can do what's called a CT exam and see if it looks more like a hemorrhage. And um, it did not have that appearance. We gave him the medication, and uh, the, the rest has been documented. The
0: rest is history. And then, you know, he's he uh, recovered fully and uh, lived a, a good uh, bit of time. I mean, a long, you know, a long time after that. I, That's it, great. It, it was a miracle. I thought
2: amazing. And what a character! When did, when did you first meet Phil? I,
0: I met Phil uh, like in. Um, 1970 when I met Rhea and uh, and, you know, I was just kind of curmudgeon at that time, even uh, (laughs) actor in New York. You know, she brought me to Brooklyn to meet her parents and, you know, they knew I was like a, you know, off working off Broadway or not even working or just like, (laughs) and uh, you bring home this guy who, who kind of uh, is a little bit odd. And, uh, you know, I used to wear a Cape and I had a <laughs> like a, like a watch Wait, what? On. Hold on. Like my hair was down to, you know, it was like what little, length of cape? I, well, a, a whole Bobby's cape that, that you know, like, you know, came down to my uh, under my knees. That is and, a
3: look. Do you have yeah, pictures of that? At,
0: we need to see that. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, there are pictures of that. Amazing. But the idea is that, you know, we had been living together, Rhea and I, you know, a little bit. So, uh, she brought me home to see, uh, meet the parents. But when I got there, I met this entire family in Brooklyn and uh, they immediately opened up, you know, to me in a big way. They were really the most pleasant people. And, um, and Phil and I were talking, you know, and I was telling them about my how I wanted to someday, you know, d- direct movies and do this and that and the other thing. I love the business and all this, the acting was rough and you couldn't get a job. And we went through all that stuff, you know, like, oh, right away. And uh, Phil said to me by the end of the night, he says, if you ever do it, you know, I want to be in the movie. I want to say dinner is served. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, "Okay, it's a deal. Cut to many years later, I did a movie called The Ratings Game in 19, I think it was 83 so 13 years later or whatever and I directed that movie for Showtime and uh I put this part in I Re and I were in it and we were having a conversation on the lawn out in front of an apartment building and and I had him come out in a, in his pajamas in a robe and we were talking loud in the parking lot or the, or the on the lawn and uh and he said his line was what in the Sam Hill is going on out here?" <laughs> and it was like a it was an amazing because he was so nice to me and he was so good he wasn't intimidated by it at all and then he's been in other movies of mine not to mention that he was a fixture at the bar in cheers
2: wow danny if we can i want to go back to your early days for a minute uh, you grew up literally you got your acting chops in the theater is that
0: your first love basically Theater is where you really get your bones, you know. That's basically for me, anyway. It was, I did some theater, I did some children's theater, I did some off Broadway stuff, and I got a, a job off Broadway in a kind of really weird way because a friend of mine, an actor, said, uh, I'm going to direct my first play, but the part I'd like you to do is already cast, but would you come up and read it for the backers? They should do backers readings all the time Mm -hmm. yep and so i come back i go up to the west side somewhere to the writer's apartment and i read this part which is already cast by this actor who is pretty well known at the time he was doing a lot of broadway and he was doing a lot of you know you can understand why they wanted him to play the part and it was a great part and then about Couple of months later, the director calls me up, and he said the guy who was going to do that part just got this lead role in a big off Broadway show, so he's dumping me. Would you come in and do the part? And I said, Would I? You know, yeah. It, you basically it, already
3: auditioned for it. He knew know what were I mean. Great.
0: And I, you know, so I got this great part wow. in a play called The Shrinking Bride. And the the whole idea was that the bride was being her father was just this. This guy was just became a rich man from his business in New York. And he bought this place up on the Hudson and and he was trying to marry his daughter to some elite guy from uh, another country. And she was shrinking away from it. That was the whole idea of the shrinking bride. And she had a sister, her sister. And I played a stable boy taking care of the animals. And I remember my first line in play was I'm, I'm in a t-shirt and old pants and like, you know, and I got a rake over my shoulder, (laughs) right? Like this, I'm leaning over the apron of the stage and I'm gobbing these big white gobs of spit. And the girl comes in and she says, Hey, Richie, what are you doing? And I say, I'm spitting on the swans. (laughs) And so the whole metaphor of like you know the whole idea of like you know the the different class right uh, yeah you know thing right so the long story short is and it's going to be a long story um, (laughs) uh, here's what happens we we preview and the actors struck so we were in a a situation like we are today but only in new york actors equity struck Now, what I think, if I I may be wrong, but I think that what we were getting paid during that time was $72 a week. I think we struck for like four or five months and we wound up getting $79 a week. (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) 10% increase. We go back to do previews and the girl who's playing opposite me, Diane, her girlfriend comes to see one of the previews. And her girlfriend is Ria. So Ria comes backstage and we go out to the cookery, which is a little place on 8th Avenue and University Place where Alberta Hunter was playing, a great jazz singer. And that's where we meet. Okay, so I, you know, I get up the nerve to ask for a phone number. And, okay, here's the rest of the story, which is, like, so cool. In, in, so, two days later, I'm going to go to work. I'm walking. We're living, in a, you know, in a little apartment on 21st Street. And I'm walking over to the place, and I see them taking the scenery out. Not and a good I, sign. And I say, oh, my God, you know, this is like... What, what's going on they said oh the place got you know you got terrible reviews in the play everybody got it. we we oh, no. it wasn't <laughs> personal <laughs> reviews but they didn't like the play okay and i see the general manager in the in the lobby and the general manager says to me hey dan i'm really sorry about this this is like really a bummer you know we did so much work on the play and all that just didn't click and um uh, he says, "You know, you got. What are you doing now?" I said, "Well, I'm, I, you know, I'm out of work." And he says, "You know, there's this play casting. They got one part to cast. They can't find the right guy. Check it out." And I said, oh, "Great, man. Thanks for the tip." So I go up to Seventy Second Street, and it's one Flew over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it's the part of Martini. Ugh. and so I walk in. I go on. There was no script. They, you know, the Martini doesn't have any many lines, any line, maybe few lines. But I go do an improv of what I, you know, on the, on the stage, and the director and the, and the producer are, are out in the audience, and I get this part of Martini. And guess who's playing the lead? The guy who was going to do the part. <laughs> in the other play, popped out. His big <laughs> okay and that was like a game changer and did you get cast right away for the movie the movie happened in 1973 or 4 so it was mm-hmm. a couple of years later because we we had, we had I'd done that and then uh, Michael Douglas who produced the movie uh, I met in 1964 when I was doing theater in Connecticut I was doing off regional theater. Michael and I became friends there because we they were building an amphitheater and at the outside and all the actors would help. You know, you you, they had contractors there, but the actors did all the grunt work, moving the cement blocks and pouring the cement. And and I I was, you know, working out out in the sun and. And Michael was there. He comes up to me. They want to go on a beer run. He says, I can't carry the beer. I got a motorcycle. I said, well, I'll go with you. And as we're walking over there, I think he said it. He said, or maybe I said it. You smoke pot? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and he said, yep. Yeah. I said, okay. And by the time that beer got back, it was <laughs> <laughs> And a friendship had been we formed. Went. So jumping back to Cuckoo's Nest, he was producing the movie. So... I had to audition, like I had a, let, you know, I had like a kind of a window into that because he was on my side. He wanted me to play the part and uh, for the movie. But, you know, the director has a final say. And, And first director on that movie was Hal Ashby. And I went in and met with him and that seemed to go well. And he was really a cool guy. And then as things go, he had a conflict with the time that jack had a con wanted to start and all this it was a low budget that movie was an independent movie this produced by michael and saul with saul's Zance's money it was a four million dollar movie michael put it together with saul and so they were out of a director and uh kirk who bought the book originally in the sixties? He bought the film rights to the book in the sixties, and he suggested Milos Forman, and so they sent it to Milos. Milos couldn't wait to get his hands on it. Yeah, bada bing, boom. History. Yeah, amazing. That's no, yeah, it's, it, you know, and that was like, um, that was big, 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 big for me. And that brought me out to California. So Re and I, after that movie opened and it was doing so well, we went out, we moved out to California like in 75.
3: Can I just um, interject and say here real sure. quick, this is why, and I know this is a medical podcast, but I'm going to, I have to, you know be my actory self and say, this is why you're an actor's actor. And the lesson here is you went in red for a part at a guy's apartment that was already cast because mm-hmm. you were so willing to be involved in the process that you wound mm-hmm. up launching your career and meeting your love, you know, <laughs> and like all of that kind of sprang from that. So it's like, it's a cool thing to just, I, I just, I love that the, yeah. the the moral of the story is humble yourself to the process. because You don't know where it's going to lead you.
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: We're back with Danny DeVito here on Bedside Matters. I'm Peter Tilden here with Dr. David Kipper and Anna Vaccino. Danny, you are so, you know, laid back and easygoing. What do you do to chill out? Like, what do you do do to, you know, shut down?
0: I do meditate. I do that. I sit Uh. and I quiet myself. I do that as much as I can. I've I've done it more and more uh, as the years go by. But I'll do it at random moments. I won't take a... I won't make it regimented. I'll just take a right. take a moment. Like if I feel like I have ten minutes, and I have these hats, I bought this hat.
3: The meditation <laughs> hat. <This is>
0: <laughs> I, I got this online. It's a it, and I got a bunch of them because I think they're great. Now I'm going to demonstrate what okay, I do. He's going to
3: demonstrate.
0: Let me just show you what I do. All I right. take off my glasses. Right. Then I pull it down here and I flap it up once. Yeah. So like just opening your mask. nose oh, but covering your eyes. I don't see anything. There is no light. You
2: look like, if I can explain it to people who can't see you, you look like Stevie Van Zandt if the thing came down <laughs> a little bit too far. Yeah, where it came over his eyes. His eyes, exactly what it looks like, yeah. You look like you're
0: robbing a bank.
2: Yeah, right, you, except you, he, can't he can't see. Can't except see. the other yeah, way, you he can't
0: you see. Have to have a, in, in other words, if you're robbing a bank like this, you have to have either a dog or a cane. Yeah, a very zen <laughs> crime is about to happen. <laughs> Did they give me the money? Do I have the money? So is it in my hand is yeah. this a
2: bank yeah it's so a,
3: i love the meditation so basically it, it filters out? out all of it the external everything. noise yeah, yeah it shuts
0: everything i mean it, it muffles the sound you still because you have to be present when you're meditating anyway so how did you this wait i'm just curious what was the moment when you said
2: that's what i'm doing i'm getting the hat
0: i i was looking for you know i've tried the masks but i like to sleep with the windows open so even in california at night it gets cold. You put the windows open. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. I like it cold in the room when I'm sleeping, but my head is, I got no hair. I'm bald, <laughs> if you remember, right. and it gets cold. So ah. I was looking for a hat. I was looking for some kind of thing to cover it. And I went online and I found this hat that a lot of people wear when they have like uh, medical problems, when they lose their hair. It's a great hat. That's okay. great. That's a great yeah.
3: idea. I like it because it filters out everything. How about how many minutes do you shoot for when you meditate or are you just kind of doing a I few just, minutes?
0: I just go, what, what happens usually is, uh, mm-hmm. and this is a good story. Dave, Dave was part of this. This was Dave rescuing me. I usually will, will sit in a few main thing. You have to be in a comfortable place. You have to know that everything around you is safe, right? And you close off and you, however you meditate, because it's, it's all personal. It's very subjective. You close down for a while. Just be you have to listen to people hammering or whatever's going on. That's all gonna be there. You can't shut right. it out. You gotta let it go. And you just focus on you. Okay. You're not not mentally thinking about yourself, but just focusing on closing every all the thoughts away, as many as you can. And usually I'll fall asleep. I'll nod off. And then, like, I'll be in and I'm maybe I even have a dream, you know, a little dream in the day. And it'll be like 10 minutes. And dreams are like, you know, snap, mm-hmm. you know, snapshot shots. Right. But, but, like, the idea is that I don't know, like, sometimes five minutes, sometimes 10 minutes. Most is like 15, 20. But, you know, usually it's just a, a little moment sometime during That's the day. Great. I had this one experience with that I'm going to relay years ago i can't remember how many years ago but um i i had this kind of a day bed kind of thing like a little sofa so i had a a table a very hard table in this room with my computer on it next to it was the day bed and i woke up very very early one morning like i think four or five in the morning and i decided to meditate and this was a, a, a brilliant move on my part. I stuck my right leg under my butt. so I'm half on the the, the sofa and half off like an idiot. Right. okay? I mean, really seriously like deranged to do that. And, and I and I knew, you know I didn't think of it. So mm-hmm. I meditate and I fall asleep and I fall forward. But I have no leg because it's under my butt. So I fall. Like, I swear, like getting hit in the face, in the head with a baseball bat. I hit the edge of that wooden table that is now a foot lower than Danny. Immediately, it bursts. I mean, blood, like, right? was right. Oh, my God. Right here. Now, Rhea is asleep. I get up. I run immediately into the shower. And I... I turned the shot because I was full of blood. And she comes in. What the hell? I said, I got to get Kipper on the phone. She goes and gets me ice. So I go, I call him right away. I told, call Dr. Kipper. I get him. I say, yeah, I'm bleeding like a pig. I'm like, oh, this thing is coming. It's just not as as you. I'll Put a lot of pressure. All the, all, you know, the doctor stuff. You Get a lot of ice. I got, yeah, I got bags of ice. I I'm, mean, I'm like, okay, okay. Let me call you back. He calls me back. I swear to God, in like four minutes, five minutes, not even. I'm like a I'm like a a packed halibut now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice packed halibut. Okay. (laughs) And he says, go to this address. I said, What? Yeah, Rhea drive you to this address. Yeah, okay. He said, Go there, they're waiting for you. I I get in the car. I got dressed first. I get in, I'm, I'm all bloody. Like, I got bloody shirt. Hey, long story short, I get in the car and go to Beverly Hills. And outside in the back of some building is a guy <laughs> already in scrubs. They walk me through a hallway. There are two nurses there. There's a uh, like an operating table. The guy looks at him. Oh, man, did you smash yourself up? I said, yeah. He said, okay, don't worry. And he gives me a shot of something in the head. I don't know what he did. I was like, you know, just like there. He gave me nine stitches, Oof. Oof. some inside and some outside. And I get in the car and I'm all, you know, now I'm, I got a, a rhinoceros bandage on my head and um, and I go home. I call him. I don't know where you were. He was in the in the forest. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Dan, how you doing? He's on the Skiing. I don't know. What he's doing and long story short, I was marveling for forever. I'm still marveling about it. It was just like so, it was such a life saving moment. I mean, yeah. now look at my head. You don't see, you can't I see was going to say, I, see I don't anything. see a scar. This guy was like a, a wizard, right? So not only did David get somebody, he got the guy. Yeah, he, he got, got the good the guy. guy. And okay, so then I realized. I start putting two, two, and two together Uh, because I'm going, how the hell in like six minutes did he put this together? (laughs) You know, you like Houdini, man, these people materialized (laughs) out of, you beamed these people up somewhere. David, Uh any comment from
1: your end of this? What I never told you was that was my veterinarian. (laughs) (laughs) Who else is going to be available that quickly? I'm talking about but like... But I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> it worked out big time. I want to go... I want to... This, this story has, for as long as we've known each other, has always amused me. That is the story of your first job that you got from your sister. Because yeah. I think for everyone that knows you publicly, this is a non sequitur. This job you had. Do you, uh, are you coming? Yeah, I was, I was not, I was not going to go to
0: college. I was, uh, we decided I was going to go to, I was going to get a job. So I was in New Jersey, Asbury Park. My sister, Angie, who was the, she was 16 years older than I. And she, she was like the leader of the pack. My sister, Teresa, was 10 years older than I. She was the sweetest and most wonderful person in the world. And basically, I did everything, anything they said. Like they said, you know, like you should cut your hair. You should do this. This is the kind of clothes you should wear. Don't don't get that thing off. It's ugly or whatever. Or, you know, eat this or that. You know, they were my moms, my two moms. My mother was always like there and, uh, and caring and loving and all that. But my sisters were like, you know, they, 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 uh, they took over. And she said, Angie said, what are you, what are you going to do now? Because I was working as a gardener in the summer. She said, I, I know what you should do. I said, what Angie? She said, you should go, you should come to work for me in the beauty parlor. And I said, what? Yeah. You should come to work for me in the beauty parlor. I'm going to send you to Wilford Academy beauty school in Asbury. And uh, you'll get out, you'll get a license and you'll have a job. Otherwise you're going to be a bum. So she enrolls me in the school in the summer. She had bought, she bought all these little, she brought these things for me to work with. Like uh, she used to make me do wash their hair, put pink curls in my mother's hair. This is all my training to go to school she showed me how to cut hair she started dabbling in color i had a great summer of uh working with my sister and it comes to september when we're going to start school and uh she's got me all the the little my doctor bag (laughs) full of stuff Uh, and uh i walk up these steps to the school it was in the second floor and I remember really moaning at myself, what am I doing? And I opened the door <laughs> and there's a big room and there's all these little stations for people to do hair right? and clustered around a coffee machine were 35 women. All my age. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I said, holy shit. <laughs> this is like a gift. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I go down and I call my. It was a pay phone downstairs. <laughs> Ran down and called her up. And I said, Angie, I owe you for the rest of my life. is it true that you
2: asked your dad to send you to private school and you had a self-awareness that if you didn't you'd get in trouble
0: you know there was a lot in my day when i was a kid teenager there was a lot of people did downers second all two and all i may say these wrong but those were the pills that were of choice and i lost a couple of my friends to heroin Oh. Because that started making its way into the neighborhood. And it scared me because my father always told me about his, he, he lost a brother in the, in the, you know, in the twenties, in the early days, maybe even when he was, maybe he was younger. He was like 15, maybe 1915. Oh they good do cold turkey on, I guess, uh, in Bellevue or wherever they put put him here and uh and and as soon as my uncle Frank came out from the cold turkey there were guys waiting on the bridge my father said he lost his brother that day he went he and his mother were walking him out and uh, all of a sudden they couldn't find Frank mm. and they, and Frankie was just went off to get some more heroin so I always remembered that and I wanted to stay away from it and uh I had a friend who was going to a private school and he was friends with my father his father and my father were buddies and so uh his father pitched it to my father and they floated it by me and I said yeah I don't mind getting wow. that out
2: that's a big deal to go away yeah. leave your
0: friends leave the neighborhood leave everything but well, I actually went with this one friend who was going. His his father was uh, uh, buddies with my old man, and they and Russell, this friend of mine, just passed away recently. We were friends from kindergarten, oh. and we spent then we spent high school together. It, Russell was it was a great experience because we were away from home, you know, and uh, we would come back on the weekends. It wasn't that far away from home. But I feel like it saved me. I escaped. I escaped uh, a lot of uh, things that were going on at that time.
2: And we're happy you did, Danny. Before you go, I hear you have a very special project uh,
0: that you got coming up. You
2: want to tell us about it?
0: I'm on. Bro- I'm going on Broadway with a new play. It's Great. called I Need That, and it's really wonderful. And I'm actually working with my daughter Lucy. Oh, cool! We're going to be at the American Airlines Theater in November you can get tickets now and it's it's uh the roundabout theater and uh, it's called I Need That and uh we're going into rehearsal on the 12th of uh, September that's why I'm in New York and I'm really oh, great Congratulations. So I want you all to- yeah thank you very much
2: well we can't thank you enough for doing this with us Danny DeVito actor producer director national treasure uh, I also want to thank Dr. Kipper and Anna Vicino. If you go to bedsidematters.org, you're going to find Dr. Kipper's book, Override, and Anna's cookbooks. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at bedside matters podcast. And, of course, thank you for listening. We drop new episodes every Monday. Till then, have a great week. The information
3: on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.